Time for our second hour roundtable on America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. More talking truth about America. And welcome back. And again, love, love, love talking to you every Sunday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. here on 660 a.m. or in Peoria, Illinois or Columbus, Georgia. Love talking with you. Okay, so we have our top of the hour. We always do a right view roundtable question, top of the second hour. And I have in studio tonight Cameron Clifton, Kirby Anderson, both good friends and uh, good thinkers. So President Trump, you probably did not hear the news, but President Trump actually tweeted out this week that he is going to prevent or prohibit transgender Americans from serving in the military. And it was, of course, the predictable, you know, outbreak of, of disappointment and celebration and, and people going around and around. So I just I want to start with a question very seriously. Do you think that um, the was Trump right or wrong in the decision? Number one. Number two. Was it a bad way to announce it on Twitter? Was that bad? And then do you think that will hurt the GOP in the midterms? Like, overall, what's the political fallout going to be? I don't know who wants to go first. I'll go first. Um, actually, I think I think it was the smart thing to do to remove transgender from uh, the military all the way across. Um, I think that was very smart because it's incredibly disruptive in the close quarters that most of the time they have to live. Uh, and also the chain of command. It's difficult for them. Um, I think tweeting it out is his style. It's brilliant the way that he uses it. Sometimes I wish he would be a little um, more genteel, but that's never going to happen, so I'm about <laughs> to give that up. But I think that I, I, everybody doesn't appreciate his the way that he does that, but I think it was brilliant because he got it out before anybody had a chance to turn it around, and that's the way he uses that incredible piece of media. And what was the third question? What political fallout? Oh, I don't think there'll be any. The only fallout around this is going to be with the um, the Democrats, and they were going to have fallout no matter what. They Republicans will not suffer because of this. Um, the even in Texas right now, they're beginning to understand that they will not suffer for taking a position that uh, takes care of the majority of the people, not the three to eleven percent that are represented in that group. And I, it's not that I have anything against them. I just think that. The rest of the country should not re- change their entire lives to accommodate them. You know, Kirby. one of the things you know, Debbie, is that on my show we had General Jerry Boykin. You might say, well, who's General Boykin? Well, he was one of the original Delta Force. He was the one that oversaw the Green Berets, spent 35 years in the military, probably knows something about the military. Had him on the program the other day, and he pointed out all sorts of issues. First of all, cost. You know, you've been hearing, well, it's not going to be that expensive, and the $8.4 million figure that you hear is really just for the surgery and the hormonal treatment. But he used a much better analogy. He said, you imagine if you were an NFL owner and you drafted a player who then said, there's going to be large portions of the season where I'm not going to be able to play. Well, why is that? Because I'm getting hormonal treatments or because I'm having psychological difficulties with this. And so as a result, we quoted from one study that came out from the Family Research Council that said this would cost billions of dollars, not millions of dollars, but billions of dollars over a 10-year period. So the cost is much more than the mainstream media would have you believe. I know that's a surprise, but nevertheless, sometimes the mainstream media doesn't quite get it right. They're off by an order of at least a 1,000%. Number two, unit cohesion. If you thought you had problems when you put men and women together in barracks, in submarines, and things like that, imagine putting someone in there who is coming out, if you will, and you can't tell whether he's a male or a female, she, he, whatever, and then all the transitional issues that are involved, 
And if you have problems with unit cohesion right now, just imagine how much worse that is. We do not allow people in the military that have flat feet. Jerry Boykin points out that his son, who's wanted to serve in the military, took Adderall when he was a teenager, and he's not allowed to serve in the military. So to turn around and to say that a few thousand individuals who might someday want to serve in the military who are transgender uh, is discriminatory fails to understand that the media has really misrepresented what the military is all about. So I'll be real blunt. The military is there to kill people and break things. That's what it's there for. It's not a social experiment. It's to defend this country. And so this is a wise decision. Was it and dealt in the best way? Well, as we just pointed out, probably you could have come up with better ways to do that by having first the uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, Mad Dog Mattis, don't you love that name, Mad Dog Mattis, uh, draft a policy and then have it implemented in law. But I know that he did this in large part because, as we just pointed out a minute ago, Camara uh, was talking about the fact that we've just had this momentum moving the other way. When we had the vote the other day where they said, let's see if we can not pay for transgender surgeries. Vicki Hartzler put that forward, and it was voted down. So he felt like he had to do something. So I think it made sense to do this right now. Will it have an effect on the elections? Eh, probably not, because those people that were going to vote aren't going to be affected by this one way or the other. Okay, and on that note, we have just about 30 seconds left in this segment, so I'm going to start my answer now by saying, just telling a little story, and I'll come back and tell you the rest of my answer. So my husband and I were out the other day, and we went to this coffee shop we go to quite often, and there was a, a person who waits on us often, friendly as can be, nice, clearly a female who is transitioning or thinking about it. And you just recognizing she, you know, she right now is very tender, very polite, deferential. She, she sees us often. So when we walk in, she goes, hey, hi. And so it just reminds me on a personal level that I, I like when we can speak about this issue because they are humans. And honestly, most of them don't want to be this. I mean, they would say, I mean, I think they're confused. I don't think it's what they really are. I think it's a, a set of beliefs they've embraced, which isn't healthy. But I still think there's a tenderness. But having said this, Trump is exactly right. And when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you the rest of my views. Talk to you after the break. Could you lose your career because of your faith? Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. 
You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. Okay, so we always talk on the break and then talk about what we should talk about. I want to just finish my answer, though, about what Trump had to say this week about transgenders in the military. I really think it was a perfectly rational decision. In fact, it's kind of the only rational decision. You know, you think about the decades America had has had the hundreds of years America's had military. We had a policy forever. Transgenders could not join, could not participate. It was only one year of social experimentation by the Obama administration. And, you know, I I told this story before the break about the person at the coffee shop to say that I think that many people who seem to be struggling with, with gender dysphoria, like, you know, they don't mentally think that they are what their biology says they are. I think there are just... I mean, no one would want that. I think it's a very challenging thing. It's a very challenging thing for people around them who love them. So I don't need to go off. I mean, I I do have a a Christian uh, faith-based view on that, which I, um, but leaving that aside, I think that 
the military is a place where all you need to be doing and the entire budget, the taxpayers' money to the military, is to be spent training people to defend America, defend our borders, defend America's interests abroad, break things, kill people the way that um, it was Kirby characterized it. That's exactly their job. And to have any notion of social experimentation and, and the notion of having the budget of the military go toward surgery that is, you know, it's not it's not life saving. It's not medical. I mean, the the problem came because the military determined that transgender surgery, transition surgery, was medically necessary, and that's just absurd. And I kind of think Trump announcing it via tweet. I, I was kind of okay with that because no matter what vehicle he chose to announce it, it was going to be attacked by the left, attacked by the um, gender advocates, uh, the um, LGBTQ and the trans the transgender advocates as a horrible thing. He just couldn't win. So I think just making a firm line, this is it, it's kind of going back to common sense. And honestly, I think most people in the military felt exactly that. It's like, yep, that's right. So that's my, and I, you know, my political follow answer is I honestly think it's possible that it will actually hurt the Democrats. I wonder in some of the Midwest heartland states when Democrats go back and start denouncing Trump's transgender order. I think a lot of voters, is a tough issue because people, they, there's, political correctness involved. People aren't comfortable saying what they think. But I think a lot of voters go home and over the dinner table, they say, are you kidding me? Our congressman was against Trump's order. He thought it was, I mean, I I, I just don't think this plays in heartland America. It doesn't play in common sense America. Okay. And nothing else on that. Anybody else? No. Well, the only thing I was going to add to what you just said is that if we're very lucky, they'll all just stay home and they won't vote at all. Okay, that that could be good. Yes, that could be all the Democrats. Yeah, that's encourage your friends if they're upset about the Democrat position. Just don't go vote this time. Okay, well, I want uh, first of all, we used to do in this show have a word of the week, and um, I kind of stopped because some of my roundtable doesn't like my words. I love words, so I f- came across a funny word. So we'll see who can use it in a sentence first. Pervert. I can't even get it out. Perfervid. P e r. And then the word fervid. So p e r f e r v i d. Excessively fervent. As in, I was I gave a perfervid first five tonight because I was so concerned about the issue or something like that. So we'll see if you can use anyway. So I want to turn though, ending the um, discussion of the uh, transgender thing, and I do think I, I think the Republican Party, by the way, would be very helped if people can discuss it in a sensitive manner, just to say it's a policy in the military relates to cost and and military and unit cohesion, and it's a final deal, and we're done. I mean, just that's about it. That's all we need to say. Okay. So the thing I want to talk about was other huge story in the news this week um, has to do with the Republicans' failure to get any repeal of Obamacare through. And so we are stuck uh, with Obamacare. And, I mean, there are all sorts of opinions about um, you know, what should have been done, what McConnell should have done. And Cameron actually raised at some point one of the breaks about how this talk, is this a failure enough by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell that we should be looking for, for a new Senate Majority Leader? So what do you well, think about that? I'm absolutely perfervid on that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she wins the prize. I, I always win the prize on this. I love those words. No, I absolutely believe that this is the last straw. Um, Mitch McConnell, over the time that he has been the leader of the Senate, has been more have more perverted on the front for the Democrats and their point of view than for us. And he needs to go now sooner, better than later. Yeah. You know, we wish uh, John McCain well with his brain uh, surgeries and his uh, therapies and all the rest. But that's the other question that people have. 
if uh, there was any indication at all to Mitch McConnell that John McCain was going to vote the other way, then certainly that would be the case. It's difficult, of course, we've talked about this before, to get the Republicans together. It is herding cats. You've got to give credit for Chuck Schumer to be able to keep all 48 Democrats together uh, when some of them are in the back of their mind thinking, I really don't want to defend what is happening right now with Obamacare. I mean, we are in a death spiral. I'm going to have to go back to my particular district. I'm going to have to go back to my particular state and try to defend something that is hurting my voters. And yet, somehow or another, Chuck Schumer is able to keep all 48 together. And Mitch McConnell didn't even see that John McCain was going to vote the other way. Okay, I, I, I love that point. I do think that this was an issue we were talking about before the show started. This is an issue that as of November 9th of last year... Chuck Schumer and Paul Ryan should have realized we we have run on repealing Obamacare for seven years now. So let's get the plan together now. I mean, get co- cohesion. But what Kirby was just making the point about, and I think is so valid. And, you know, the Democrats, I mean, I said this thing on your show this week, institutionally, historically, they vote in a block. They are disciplined like small children. They just salute and they're told what to do. And this, and there was a book, I still don't remember the name of it, but some guy who got elected from Kansas or somewhere went to Congress as a Democrat and he was just floored to realize that he was told day one, you know what, you can say what you want in your speeches and blah, 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 but we're going to tell you how to vote and you do it. And there's, and you get like major discipline. There hasn't been that discipline on the Republican side. And I know we always brag, well, it's because we are individual thinkers, but this notion that we could not get the singular largest promise by virtually every Republican who ran to say, we'll repeal this thing is outrageous. I also read on the subject of McCain, I had a little bit of suspicion. He's just sticking his finger in Donald Trump's eye because Trump was unkind during the, I mean, Trump was unkind to a lot of people, but he was unkind to McCain during the campaign. And it may have been a little bit of that gleeful retaliation. But the other thing that I was going to tell you both, I don't know if you saw this story, Washington Examiner, that they're reporting that Joe Biden and Joe Lieberman got to McCain the day before the vote. Did you see this story? I did. And, and so do you think that's plausible? They got to him and just said, you can't do this. Too many people will be hurt. Joe Biden told the story about his son, who sadly passed away from a very similar cancer to what John McCain's been diagnosed with. Do you think? Yeah, go. So when we were all pretty shocked that uh, John McCain voted the first day and got us the majority, the speech that he made afterward, where he admonished everyone, went on and on and on about how we're not getting anything done, my friends, and we've got to work across the aisle. Anybody who thought that he was going to vote with Republicans the next day had not heard him speak the day before. It was a foregone conclusion that that's the way he was going to go. And he took, uh, you know, three other people with him. On the flip side, though, um, this business of Lieberman and um, and Biden, Biden, and also uh, the former uh, Speaker of the House, uh, who supposed whose name I never even want to repeat again, uh, that. Starts with a P. Yes. Okay. Um, he he is doing the same kind of uh, backdoor counseling, and we don't need that anymore. It's not about the swamp. Drain the swamp. It's about what they have to come back and talk to their constituents about. That's the only thing that should really matter, and it's not. And that means that no matter how the elections go, we have to we have to hold these folks accountable. 
I hope that John McCain will retire, and um, that'll be the end of it. Amen. Debbie, I want to come back to you because you said on my show something that John Fun wrote about. So when you say it in John Fund, you got to pay attention. John Fund says, you know, that John McCain chose to operate like the standard issue politicians he likes to rail against. You have said that maybe he's in the past where there used to be a lot of congeniality in the Senate where the two sides would come together. And even when he voted against this, he said, we need to work together. But the Democrats aren't working with the Republicans. They show no interest in working with that. Is he stuck in a time warp in which he thinks it's the 1970s where we can still work together? Yes, or the expression I use, I loved using the show, is he doesn't know what time it is in America. John McCain talked about, well, the way to do this is to sit down, have hearings, call witnesses, listen to the other side. And the thing is, I I mean, if it's really bad... If he actually believes that, because he's really telling you, I'm pretty darn mentally out of it. I mean, that's what he's saying. I'm sorry to be so harsh, but the Democrats did not. When they passed Obamacare, they didn't care one iota what any Republican thought of any provision. They just slammed it through. And for John McCain to think the way to solve Obamacare is to suddenly find a new well springing forth from the Democrats of party, you know, connection and party. uh, We're going to work with the Republicans and come to conclusions. It's just crazy. The other big aspect, and we're going to have to go off to break here, but the other big aspect and what hit on Obamacare was what Trump is doing about it and what Trump is tweeting about doing to the people who get a big break on their Obamacare policies and even the insurance subsidies. So Trump isn't taking this sitting down. Thank goodness. Come right back. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony list, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. 
They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. Okay, welcome back. Hey, I want to talk about Obamacare a little more. Um, just from the perspective that, you know, Trump, for all of, I've pointed out in the show, President Trump, he got <clears throat> the notion during the campaign that America wants Obamacare to go away. He didn't really understand the details of why, because I don't think he, I mean, because he can afford to buy any kind of insurance or health care that he wants. And God bless him. You know, that's great. But I think that the issue lacked leadership at the outset with a clarity that maybe would have helped. I think if we'd had, you know, someone else, but because he ended up putting in the hands of Paul Ryan and Paul Ryan um, was kind of willing to go with almost anything to get Obamacare repealed. But anyway, what I want to get to now is President Trump, wherever he started out, he's really committed to make this happen. So one thing he has done this week, which I thought was great, is, and again, he tweeted, but President Trump tweeted out something uh, relating to the exemption that um, Congress has. Um, and by Congress, I mean the House the Senate, and their staffers, and probably other people in Washington, at least them. So the tweet Trump put out says, if a new health care bill is not approved quickly, bailouts for insurance companies and bailouts from members of Congress will end very soon. This is how you just got to love Trump for that. He just, and let me, and I want to correct something or, or just lay out something for our listeners on that subject. So I have heard local congressmen who shall remain nameless at this time say in speeches, oh, I'm not exempt from Obamacare. Don't try to lay that on me. You know, and, and to be clear, when Obamacare was written, there was first an exemption for all of the Congress and all of the Senate. And even the Democrats could figure out this isn't going to fly. So they took that out. Oh, Congress is covered. But what they did is they got a ruling, a 
completely fallacious hoax-level ruling from the Office of Personnel Management, OPM, that said essentially they could be treated under Obamacare like an employer with 50 employees or less, like they're a small business. Okay, so leaving aside the fallacy of that, the end of the day, members of Congress are under Obamacare, but whatever policy they choose, I'm going to guess they all choose a Cadillac thing, um, they're 70% of their premiums are paid by taxpayers. And so, you know, I don't think any other American has that deal. Do, do you have 70% of your premiums paid by? Do Absolutely you, Kirby? not. Yeah. No. Okay. And again, that fiction back in 2013, isn't that interesting? It's been, and, but do you, again, people are able to get away with that. And I've said before that one of the concerns that we have, and we voiced it on your show and on my program as well, that uh, the American people get the sense there's a two-tiered system. There's one system that works for the members of Congress and people in government and another system that works for the rest of us. And I just think that that is a good example of Donald Trump saying, okay, I'm going to uh, get your attention. And one of the quickest ways to get your attention is to pull down that 70% premium or $12,000, whichever is larger, and uh, make you pay for it the way everybody else has to pay for it. I mean, I just think that was brilliant, and I think members of Congress— would not believe he'd do it, but he he can apparently do it just by signing an order. He doesn't have to have Congress pass this. This would be awesome. The second thing Trump is threatening has to do with the bailouts to insurance companies. And again, Obamacare as passed is imploding. And by that, I mean insurance companies cannot afford to participate in the exchanges created by Obamacare because they can't collect enough money to pay for. They can't collect the fair market value of the services, the insurance policies they are provide they are required to provide. So they are withdrawing. I don't have it in front of me, but I've done other shows. In fact Alan West had a memorize when he was on about all the different insurance companies who pulled out of Obamacare. But point is that Obamacare isn't working. It's a, it's a you know fatally flawed economic model, and so to say, so it, it gets buck, bucked up because we, again, you, the taxpayer who work hard for your money, pay money to Washington so they can pay these insurance companies to bail them out. So Trump is going to say he's basically, I'm not going to let this this silliness continue. Right. Well, the the whole thing about the this insurance company and their role in all of this. Uh, the reason they're pulling out is not because they're not collecting, people don't want to be on the system. It's because they're not getting the subsidies that they were promised. And that is, in my opinion, that that should have been illegal and should never have been in the The subsidies should have been illegal. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the other side of this is that the reason that Democrats will never probably want to give up on this is that this is their path to single payer. And single yeah. payer should be the thing that everyone in this country shivers when they hear those two words, which is a great segue into the Charlie Gard story. You know what? Uh, we uh, Karen just mentioned a single payer idea, which is basically socialized medicine, it means there's one entity, which is the government pays for everything. And so they've had that in other countries. And there was a story this week, uh, and I'm going to guess most of our listeners heard about it, but there was a child, a, a very a baby in England who was born with a serious health problem. And the bottom line of it all was the parents of this young baby were told by the socialist single-payer health system, the British health system, that there was basically nothing that could be done. And they were told, basically, we're going to have to let your baby die, but we'll give you a painkiller. Give him a painkiller. Don't worry. And these parents, I mean, the story has so many ramifications for what's happening in America. You know, one analogy I heard, one story I heard, and then everyone can chime in on Charlie Gard, but 
was the idea that, you know, in America, if you are given a bad diagnosis, whether it's a baby, your mom, anyone of any age, you know, the mentality in America is, well, I'm going to find a second opinion. I'm going to, I'm going to find someone who might be willing to try a new treatment, try a new surgery, because your heart, your individual heart is in the notion that I have freedom. I can look around and doctors and healthcare providers and pharmaceutical companies, if they have something I maybe can use, I can seek it out and try to find it. But that entire incentive for the individual is gone in single pair. And this young Charlie Gard, the story, the quick story was, so he had terrible diagnosis when born, you know, bad prognosis, but his parents fought and fought. They ended up raising through GoFundMe or something mm-hmm. similar, like a million dollars? 1.6. Okay, 1.6. So at this point, they're not even saying to the national healthcare system, you must pay for, for a very expensive treatment that may not work. They're saying, let us have our baby and we'll take him to someone who could provide the service. And the national healthcare service said no. No, we, the government, we decide for your baby. We are overruling you, your money, your desire to fight for your child's life, and we're saying no. And you think that sounds far-fetched, it could never happen here, but it's the beginning, we see beginning steps now, we're deciding the government decides, not you. Kirby, you look like you have something to say, sorry. Well, <laughs> one of the things that I've said on my program before is I think it shows rationing. And the other day you were on a show with me with someone else saying, no, I don't think it was rationing. Well, at the beginning, it was rationing because they were sitting there as the British health system saying, there is no way we're going to let you spend scarce medical dollars on this very speculative treatment. But once they raised the money, everybody said, well, then it's not about rationing. Yeah, it is, because they did not want you to go out of the system. You paid into the system. You have to stay in the system. If people start bailing out of the system, you can see some of the problems with it. And this is, the, I think, the reality that people have to face. If we move to a single-payer system, then not only do they determine what treatments you're going to receive, they're also going to determine what treatments you're not going to receive. It's the golden rule. He has the gold, makes the rules. And so if you uh, could educate all these young people that right now think that the Bernie Sanders single-payer system is such a great idea, just help them look at something like Charlie Gard and recognize, no, you wouldn't even be allowed to leave the system with your own money to go try something because, after all, you'd be violating the rules of the system and so you would lose all sorts of freedom that you have right now. Well, it's it's like a, a really, really bad dystopic um, movie that's come to life. You know, there's a new movie called Thinning. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm-mm. But um, you go to school, you pass a test, you get to stay. You don't pass the test, you get thinned, which means you're killed. Because they can only afford now to have the smartest, brightest, you know, most capable people go into adulthood. And so that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about, um, you know, a a kind of economic um, point of view, although I do agree with you um, that they can't afford for people to bail out. Um, But what we're really talking about is who gets to decide who's worthy to live. And right this minute, I think we still believe in that, you know, life is precious. And so it's it was very, very disappointing to me that they lost the vote on Planned Parenthood because defunding Planned Parenthood would have gone a very long way to speaking to how important life is. And that's really what we're talking about here is who values life and who doesn't. 
Well, and the other point you've made before on my program, but let's come back to it again, <laughs> and that is you go to a place like Canada, and if you get this diagnosis or you get this statement from the bureaucrats that we can't fund that, there's a kind of a resignation of, okay, I'll just, I'll guess I'll go and die. It shows what happens when you have a single-payer system. It affects the entire population, and they give up with even trying to find an answer, and that's a danger, too. Oh, it really is a whole notion of the spirit of the, the, you know, that not just the self-reliant spirit in America that people go out and try to find the next answer, find the new solution, but that you think you have the right to, that you just, that, that you see yourself as having that power versus in Canada and in England, there is that resignation that just says, well, I guess it's just my turn. And that's something that is just a, it is akin to the notion of socialism where you kind of lose that sense of freedom um, And after the break, because we're 10 seconds here. Anyway, I, folks, this just couldn't be more important. We're going to come back after the break and do a little more on Charlie Gard. Come right back. On August 2nd, 2006, Debbie Lee was notified that her son, Mark Allen Lee, had been killed, becoming the first Navy SEAL to lose his life in Iraq. She had no choice about the news that was given to her, but she did have a choice how she responded. In response to her son's amazing last letter, she founded America's Mighty Warriors to honor the sacrifices of our troops, the fallen, and their families by providing programs that improve quality of life, resiliency, and recovery. Whether America's Mighty Warriors is hosting retreats for families of the fallen, helping heroes heal who are struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress disorder, providing relaxation at the Heroes Hope Home, stepping in when an injustice is committed, or doing random acts of kindness. As Mark mentioned in his letter, they know the price of freedom and who pays it. Our troops and families of the fallen need your support. Visit americasmightywarriors.org today to learn more. That's americasmightywarriors.org. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. 
The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Hi, this is Debbie Georgiatis. On my radio show, we have the theme music by Krista Branch that has the refrain, I am America. I chose it because it summarizes what I think is a really important truth about America. We the people are America. We the people are blessed with extraordinary power in our country, and we have to use that power to keep America strong and free for everyone. And how do we do that? We have the responsibility to understand the issues facing our country, to get beyond soundbite and slogan politics. We have the responsibility when politicians propose solutions to understand, will those solutions preserve American-style freedom or slowly, incrementally destroy it? We have to vote once we are informed about the issues. But even more so, we have to speak up to our friends, our family members, to speak up in our daily life about the reality that we each have a responsibility and privilege to defend American-style freedom. This is Debbie Georgiatis on America Can We Talk. And welcome back. And you know what? If you're hearing us talk, <laughs> it's funny. We talk politics on air and we talk politics <laughs> off air. We just keep talking. Um, first of all, I need to give uh, great thanks to the uh, supporter, the um, sponsor of our show, GC Works, which is in, here in Dallas. It is it's Dallas-based. It performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. GC Works sponsors this show. I cannot tell you how grateful I am for that. Just so appreciate them. Okay, so I can't believe we're in our final segment, and we have numerous things we want to hit, but I want to say a few more things about this Obamacare thing. Um, One is I am committing to myself, and I really, I urge you to do the same thing. Look out for stories that come out of single-payer healthcare systems. Be able to tell the story. Tell your friends, because single-payer, the story of Charlie Gard, and I got to tell you, folks, I know people who I'm sure had the reaction of, I'm so terribly sorry about that, you know, baby. That's really sad. But, hey, the diagnosis was really grim, and everybody knew it, and those parents were just unrealistic. And, you know, sometimes that whole notion is born of the idea that government is the parent, government is the controller, government is the decider. And so these parents were just kind of not falling in line. And, And that is just, it is so antithetical to the idea of the American individual and your freedom and your self-reliant right to stand up for your life and your children's life. And I think what you do is you just talk to them for a minute and say, okay, if you have a child and he or she has a very debilitating illness, but there's even maybe a 5% chance, wouldn't you want to pursue that? And I have yet to see a parent say, no, if you have the money and the opportunity to do so, wouldn't you like to pursue that? Of course. Well, according to a single payer system, you would not be allowed to do that. And this is not hypothetical because it just happened in the U.K. And that, I think, is a way to make it very personal. When they think about it in the Charlie Guard and he's over there in the other country, but bring it back to their situation, their kids, their grandkids. And if they had a 5% chance and they could raise the money for it and then were told you couldn't do it, you know how people would react to that. I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. You say, no, I do. I'd move heaven and earth to try to save my child. Absolutely. So I I was... I have a story about the first time that I visited the UK. Um, They asked me and the other two folks that I was with, so if anything happens to you here, 
do you want to go to the hospital or to the airport? We recommend the airport. They were dead on serious. They were not kidding. I chose the airport. I don't know what everybody else did, but I chose that. But I, I was reminded while you were talking about um, Reagan and Thatcher. Um, thank God for Reagan, Thatcher, and, and the Pope because I think they saved the world in their time. But they were they had a conversation once um, that Reagan was praising her for how she had turned back the socialist mentality of the people to um, capitalism and you know freedom, pride, and freedom and all those things. And she said to him, "Yes, in every way but healthcare." You still have a healthcare system that works. Never give it up. And here we are. If if we can't learn from the pa- mistakes of the past, we are absolutely doomed to repeat them. It has never worked anywhere in the world, and it will not work here. And we'll be very, very sorry for that. And it, yeah, and I'm so glad we're having this conversation. And just to remind people, if you think you know Trump keeps pushing, President Trump keeps saying, "I want to have a vote in this healthcare thing," he's pushing it. I don't know how much he sees of what we're talking about right now, but this issue, just because Mitch McConnell could not pull the votes together in the Senate, just because John McCain decided to have a childish hissy fit, whatever the reasons were, just because Susan Collins wanted to, and, and other Republicans were arguing because they want bigger Medicaid, they're just basically holding out that, holding out the entire country's repeal of Obamacare to get a little more Medicaid dollars for their state. All those things are not worthy. They're, it's, they're not good enough reasons for us to have failed to repeal Obamacare. It was. It's not just Democrat versus Republican. It's not. It's not a retaliation thing. It is about holding on to freedom or surrendering. It's. It's. It's one of the biggest issues of our time. And this notion of going to single payer, once you get there to extract a country from that, it is nearly impossible. It's true. You know, part of the problem I have with Collins's vote is that she is planning to run for governor in her state and in the next cycle. And so in my mind, what she's done is she has thrown the entire country under the bus for her own political gain in a year and a half. And that's the kind of a politician and statesman that we can do without. You are not kidding. Okay. Any last words? on Obama? We're talking about this again, Obamacare, single payer. Okay. The last thing we're going to hit tonight is just a very interesting thing. Um, so camera had raised with me, not only do we talk politics on air and off air in the breaks, but even during the week, talking on the phone and I see Kirby at his radio show point of view. Actually I meant to mention Kirby Anderson, who is here in our round table tonight. He is the host of point of view radio and it's a, wonderful show it's on every day one to three o'clock and people can go listen to it in dallas right now you need to go to pointofview.net and you can listen live or you can even watch live and it's really it's a great show very substantive very insightful and i'm, I'm really grateful you're here you're here being on my round table and of course <laughs> grateful pleasure. for camera camera and i talk all the <laughs> we're kind of like endless political warriors it so, is. and That's she also true. does fox news radio um political analysis as i do so she's thinking politics all the time so a good thinkers here tonight so uh, I have an issue all the time, I can't get over it, that we can, even if we might not like politicians, we do have the option of having them recalled in most places, in most states you can do a recall, and also voting them out of office. The people who are really in power right now are not people that we can vote out. They are the data titans, and they are the ones who are going to end up controlling every bit of information that we have access to, and also um, all the things that we do. I mean, Jeff Bezos just became the wealthiest person in the world. Now, I give him the, um, the credit 
for uh, for building up that business from a, a penny bookstore to what it is now, where they make you know tens of thousands of dollars a minute. I think is the new the new thing on this, and they're driving a lot of people out of business. But that's not the point. The point is that you have people like Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg, who actually into our in my our embarrassment started his political campaign in Dallas in January. Okay, we need to jump back. So Mark Zuckerberg is? Mark Zuckerberg is the founder and uh, major stockholder in um, Facebook. He's the CEO. He's the CEO. He is everything. He is is Facebook. He is Facebook. And if something happens on Facebook, you can can be sure that he knew about it before that was the case. So, you know, I take more issue with him than the other titans. Um, But in 2015... He took a trip to Russia, and he met with President Medvedev there. He didn't meet with Putin. Nobody's written a dossier on him meeting with Putin, but he met with Medvedev and all of his um, his cabinet, and they spent a week talking about Facebook in Russia and the world. And no State Department people went with him. He took an entourage. No one has talked or written much about this, and yet— you know, he, he just goes where he wants to go and does what he wants to do. Now he's touring every state in the union, and, and he's doing all these, um, these uh, like, fireside chat things with people. He's, he's putting forth this horrible notion of universal pay. Now, this is a fellow who is a billionaire many times over, and yet he wants all of us to just get a check for the amount that we need. Okay, there's so much loaded in I mean, there in the you, next three minutes. You, I know we can't get to it. I'm sorry. But I, but I do think— you, you asked me to talk about it, and you know I don't have a place to stop. <laughs> I just keep going. That's right. Well, Zuckerberg is an interesting character. You know, this is a relatively young man, and when you run Facebook, we were saying, I think in the break just now, Facebook is almost like its own internet. I mean, it is— I don't know the number of people who are on Facebook in the billions, I think, around the world. And it's so much. I mean, a lot of people gather their news. They have their social connections. They plan their events. They kind of see the world through Facebook. And he is touring the country and had a happy little euphemistic term he was using about, you know, get to know America, whatever it was called. It was like, you know, happy, friendly sounding. But really, he's planting the seeds of running for president. And this is a whatever he is, 32 year old. I don't know how old he is. He might be older than that. He's a millennial, but he's older than that. Okay, well, however old he is, you know, he's really run, he's lived kind of a fantasy life where he happened to be in on the creation of Facebook well, as it was really an effort to get girls to date him with that where Facebook got started. And now he is, because of our culture of fame and our culture of, of celebrity, even, an, even, even a, you know, 0.001% chance he could be taken seriously as president of the United States, but that's what he's doing. And I think that's very problematic that he even thinks that's plausible, and worse yet, if he's getting traction. Well, again, one of the things he said when he spoke to the Harvard uh, graduates was that he wanted to believe in universal income. So I think he's going to tap into the same kind of desire that some of these students had because they like Bernie Sanders. And all of a sudden he's saying, look, you know, I become a billionaire, but you still have your student loans. So let's generate universal income. After all, robotics are going to kick a lot of you out of potential jobs. So we'll just uh, begin to pay you not only pay you free college and free health care, but basically free income if you want to get right down to it. So he's sort of one up Bernie Sanders. And if he gets any kind of traction at all and the millennial generation follows him, 
that is the end of America as we know it. Well, there's there's another element to that too. You're you're exactly right. He's test he's floating these balloons, trial balloons, about things that he wants to know how people will think about it. So, for example, two weeks ago he took down thirteen um, Catholic national organization Facebook pages because they didn't comply with Facebook rules. Well, there was such a pushback on it, he he had to put them back up. But those are the kinds of things that they do all the time. They they go they start out with political leanings on Facebook and then they tell everyone else you can't be political on Facebook. So he's dangerous in my opinion and um and we need to keep a close watch on him and make sure that we we make clear what his intention is. Absolutely. You know we're going to run out of time. I can't stand this. I cannot believe 2 hours are up. This is always the fastest two hours of my week, the most fun two hours, and uh, I would do it two hours a day uh, because there's so many stories you couldn't even talk about, but we'll, we'll talk about Mark Zuckerberg n- numerous times going forward because this is a guy who's really coming off his social media fame and thinking that somehow makes you eligible, and the power, as Cameron was alluding to, the power that social media has in people's lives. Well, I mean, I love Facebook. I love social media. I love Twitter. I'm in favor of social media and all that kind of stuff. I really think we Americans have to be cognizant of, you know, really demanding of those people as they have that much power over us. They have policies that actually tolerate everybody's viewpoints, unlike uh, the notion that Facebook would actually take down websites, Facebook pages, because we're inconsistent with how they think how they think about the world. I'm Debbie George Addis. This America Can We Talk. Come back every week. We talk truth about America. Thank you for listening to America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth about America. America.